Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're here in what basically amounts to the 2020 trade deadline week. I'm taping this on a Wednesday morning. Uh, the trade deadline is the following Tuesday, November 3rd, which might sound like a familiar date, a uh, pretty big date in this country. But with the COVID environment that we're in, teams want to make these moves and get them done now, ASAP, because there's a integration process, right? You're talking six days before a new player can actually get in. So if they get traded next Tuesday... Another six days, that's another week missed, right? So we're sitting here right now. We're in week, uh, what are we, in week eight, right? The Giants are one in six. We'll get to that loss to the Eagles. Ridiculous, ridiculous loss in a few minutes. But uh, we're sitting here in week eight. If then you rule out week nine, I mean, you're really getting tight on how many, you know, some teams that be first time they could get a, a player traded if they don't do it till next Tuesday is week 10. That's getting tight. So you want to maximize the amount you can get out of a guy you trade for because you're giving up assets. So we're going to go over the tradable, the untradable, and then the dream, right? So that's what we're going to do here. Uh, we'll go over all. Marcus Golden is already gone. So let's let's start with that. Uh, the Giants traded the outside linebacker. Look, he did not fit in with this new regime. They, You could tell. Look by actions they never really wanted Marcus Golden back in the first place like it wasn't a priority by meaning not wanting him back I mean like okay all right we got him he's a good insurance policy but even as an insurance policy O'Shane Zimenez he's on IR Lorenzo Carter he's out for the year and basically they were using Marcus Golden still as a situational pass rusher I think the last two games he's played about 35 36 percent of the snaps and that's with those two guys not there. So they got a sixth-rounder from Marcus Golden. Hey, you're not using the guy. You get a sixth-round pick in this up next year's draft coming up in 2021. You take it. Fine. I'm good with that. You're not getting much more back from Marcus Golden. He's on a one-year deal. The Cardinals needed a pass rusher. Like, maybe, maybe if you hold out, you could maybe, and I don't even know if it's possible, you could get a late fifth-round pick or something from a good team. But I don't even know if that's possible. So you take the six, you go away, and you say, okay, we got something for that. Let's see what else we can get. The problem is the Giants don't have these great assets, trade assets, right? Kevin Zeitler, he's perhaps, to my opinion, salary included, production, uh, age, the best asset they have to trade right now. And it's not great either because Kevin Zeitler gets paid $10 million this year, so the Whatever team would trade for him would owe him another $5 million this year. If they wanted to keep him next year, that's another $12 million. Uh, so he's paid pretty well. Now, he's a serviceable, probably slightly above average guard at this point of his career. He, I mean, the eye test tells me this about Kevin Zeitler. He hasn't played as well as he has in years past. He's not moving quite as well. And the numbers back that up. Pass block win rate, 32nd in the NFL among guards. So, remember, there's 64 starting guards, basically. So that's dead average, 91.1%. Dead average among guards. Pro football focus ranking, 43 out of 77. You know, pretty close to the middle of the, middle of the road there. 60.6 uh, grade. 
pretty even run and pass. But what's really evident if you watch closely is Zeitler is probably on the decline. So a team, yes, he's valuable because he's a quality or at least trustworthy offensive line option. Now, what can you get for him? Maybe a mid-round pick. I doubt you can get like a third. I think maybe like a fourth is more likely for Kevin Zeitler. A fourth, fifth. But if you're the Giants, do you do it? You're a worse team right now. Your offensive line is already struggling. You throw in rookie guard Shane Lemieux. I mean, at some point this season, are you all right having an offensive line with three rookies, Shane Lemieux, Matt Parrott, and Andrew Thomas, if that's the way you're going? Uh, is that good for Daniel Jones's growth and development to getting the most accurate picture of what he is moving forward? It's definitely debatable. I probably would think of moving Zeitler if I can get a, a fourth. I don't know if they can. I do know that the demand on offensive linemen outweighs the supply. So that does give Zeitler some value. And then if a team wants, if he plays well, they do have, you know, he's still signed for another year, $12 million. You could could always keep him and be basically a year and a half rental. Now, he's the tradable. Evan Ingram is the other tradable. But let me tell you about Evan Ingram. The Giants believe that they can get something out of Evan Ingram. That, And I know everybody wants him traded. A uh, little recency bias. You're looking at him. He's terrible. He can't catch. He can't block. And while he has not been good this year, there's no doubt about this. You cannot argue that Evan Ingram has been good this year. Nobody can. He's been bad. Drop passes, subpar blocking. Uh, really looks at times like he's shot mentally. I think personally it might be best for both parties. It probably is best for both parties if they did move him. Get that third or fourth round pick. I mean, I talked to people around the league. That's what they said his value would probably be the third round. You might have to scrap and claw to get. But I think you could probably get it from a team that looks at Evan Ingram the way the Giants are still looking at Evan Ingram and said, look, this guy's a weapon. He can make plays. Now, has he done it this year? No. But if you think about it, he averaged about 60 yards, close to 60 yards per game receiving. In games he played from start to finish his first three years. The only downside to him, forget the blocking for a second because we know he's not a good blocker, but as an offensive pass-catching weapon, was that he was injured and wasn't and he wasn't on the field often. Like he was on and off. He missed a bunch of games. But coming into this year, we all at least thought Evan Ingram is a weapon in the pass game. Somehow, this Jason Garrett offense has sapped that from him for the most part. But you could tell what the Giants think of him in that Philadelphia game. Get to that game in a little bit later. Jesus, what an awful game. Awful way to lose the game, I should say. But Evan Ingram drops that. Okay, let's just get into it right now. Because we're talking about Evan Ingram. He drops that pass. Evan Ingram. I mean, Daniel Jones made the play. That was what you wanted to see from Daniel Jones. Make the throw late in the game that shows everybody that you can do it again and that you can make those plays. And he did enough in that game to win that game because he dropped the ball deep down the sideline. I think it was third and seven, a little over two minutes left. He drops it right into Evan Ingram's hands, and he dropped it. Now I'm getting fans all riled up right now thinking about that again. Terrible loss for the Giants to a decimated Eagles team. Think about who was left on for the Eagles at the, after, at the end of that game. Deshaun Jackson was out. Lane Johnson was out again. So essentially the Eagles have Jason Kelsey, their center, four backup offensive linemen, none of their top, neither of their top two tight ends. Um, Deshaun Jackson's out. 
Alshon Jeffries out. So they have Travis Fulgham, Greg Ward, and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside as their receivers. And then in the backfield is Boston Scott, who catches the game-winning touchdown all around Carson Wentz. And they drove down the field and win the game easily. Easy. Easy money. And this is why the Giants have the problem, and I say this all the time, their problem is they don't have any game-changing defensive playmakers. And that shows more than ever at the end of the game. When you need a play, they don't have that guy there to make that play. Just think, last year everyone's like, oh, they lost to Arizona. They should have beat Arizona. How do you lose to Arizona at home? Well, guess what? Because Arizona had a better roster. And guess what? Arizona had Chandler Jones. And when they needed plays in that game, what did Chandler Jones do? He pummeled Daniel Jones and dominated and made the plays. And so you look at the Arizona Cardinals roster, like they, they, have, they had, I mean, Chandler Jones is injured right now, but they had, at the time, Chandler Jones, Patrick Peterson, Kyler Murray, right? That's better than the Giants, right there. They're better than the Giants, basically, with those three guys. Giants difference makers, Saquon Barkley, who's now injured. Yeah, that pause is intentional. Because there's nobody, nobody else that's a real game-changing difference maker. I'm talking pro ball, all pro level, dominant type player. Those are the kind of guys you need on your roster. You need about two of them on their de- on your defense at least. Giants don't have any right now. Need to find them. Now, take us back to Evan Ingram. They believe he could be one of those guys on offense. One of those real difference makers. Remember Joe Judge, when he was hired... He says he doesn't want his assistant coaches to tell him what guys can't do. He wants me to, them to tell him what they can do. And what Evan Ingram has at least proven through three years of his career was that he can make plays when healthy. Now, he hasn't done it this year. Blame it on him. Blame it on the coaching staff. Can blame it on the quarterback at times. I know everyone wants to blame Evan Ingram for that interception earlier in that Eagles game. Uh, Daniel Jones fired a bullet to him, and yeah, he probably should have caught it, but that was he put him in a terrible spot. Fires a bullet, two yards underneath. Ingram's not really expecting the ball because he's four yards shy of the first down marker with three guys surrounding him, you know, waiting to get crushed. And you might you say, okay, that's an excuse. And I agree, it probably is. He still probably should have caught it, but it was a bad spot to be put in. Leads to an interception. But we're all, we're all mad at Evan Ingram because he's been brutal this year. But the Giants are still holding out hope that he can be that guy. So I wouldn't expect them to trade him. They don't have him on the block. Evan Ingram, not on the block. Now, are, the te- are other teams calling about Evan Ingram? They have been for years. Years. Because the teams around the league like Evan Ingram. They see that skill set and say, hey, if I get him in the right situation where I could ask him to do mostly the things that he's good at, which is get him into open space, get him into the open field, let him run with the ball in his hands, he could be a good player. And that's what the Giants are saying. Look at this last game. Nine targets, two carries, 11 potential touches. They're trying to get him the ball because he's the only guy on their roster right now that can really scare opposing defenses. Sterling Shepard, nice having back, good player. Darius Slayton looks like a good young player. Doesn't scare, doesn't like strike fear into opposing defenses. Evan Ingram at his best, Ken. So the Giants' intention is to not trade him right now. Not trade him. Now let's say they get an offer, of course, that blows him away. Maybe a a high third-round pick. 
would do that. I mean, I don't I don't see anything else. You know, a late third, early fourth. I I don't see the Giants pulling the trigger on that move right now. They need to leave Daniel Jones with some sort of weaponry. And they believe that Evan Ingram could still be that guy. Now, Golden Tate, this is the start of the untradeable category. Well, let me let me finish the tradable category. Jabril Peppers, to me, is tradable. Maybe somebody offers you a decent mid-round pick. You decide, okay, you know what? Not terrible. Let's let's do it. Let's gain assets for it. We don't view him as a real significant piece for the future. Like Jabril Peppers is a starter, but he's more like an average starter. So he's not really a building block. He's got his fifth-year option for next year, so he's not ultra cheap anymore. So, I mean, if somebody offers you decent for Jabril Peppers, I think I would do that. Now, I haven't heard anything about him being on the block. I think the Giants would probably prefer to keep him, hope he continues to develop, but how long are we going to wait for him as well? I just think the difference between him and Ingram is Ingram's upside is higher. Like, we've seen flashes of Evan Ingram as a dominant tight end. We haven't seen flashes of Jabril Peppers as a dominant safety. You think he'd be good. You see that athleticism, that dominant athleticism, but the instincts seem to hold him back. But he does have some value. You Another team can get him. Same with Ingram for a year and a half because they have the 50-year option already You know uh, that's picked up on him. So it's not a terrible thing. Get him for a year and a half. The prices aren't outrageous. A team that needs to get over to the top, those might be moves that they would make. For the Giants, you're just trying to collect assets, as many assets as possible. Now, we're talking about the untradeable category. Now, I'll start with Leonard Williams because don't misinterpret this. Interpret this. this isn't that Leonard Williams can't play. This has always been the case. Leonard Williams is a good, not great player. Has played pretty well this year. Uh, but again, not a top player. His pass rush win, win rate, uh, his PFF grade, I don't have either of them in front of me exactly. But last time I checked, you know, they're good, again, but not great. He's not like top 10, top 15, even top 20 in either of them. He's, you know, 30s, I believe, in pass rush win, win rate somewhere. I don't even, you know what, I shouldn't even say that. I don't know where it is right now. But he's a quality player. I think we all agree. He's a good player. Not great, but he gets paid a a lot, a lot of money right now, right? And this is why trading for a guy who was in his walk year wasn't the wasn't a good move. Just flat out wasn't a good move because Leonard Williams sixteen million dollars salary this year sixteen one two six. So even if he gets traded for half the season, another team has to have eight million dollars straight out for Leonard Williams in the salary cap. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It would have to be a perfect, perfect situation. And then what is another team going to trade you for a guy who's a eight-game rental? Probably not a ton. So it almost makes Leonard Williams right now untradeable. Dalvin Tomlinson also doesn't get paid a lot. Would be a good piece, good player, quality player. You know, him, him and Leonard Williams, their, their PFF grades is hovering around 80. That I know. So they're good players. It's not great, but it's good. Neither of them are, are tremendous pass rushers. Tomlinson provides even less in the pass rush category as Leonard Williams, obviously. Uh, teams would love to have him. But what are they realistically going to give you in return? So why would that make sense for the Giants at this point to trade a guy like Dalvin Tomlinson? If the best you're going to get back is like a Steve McClendon-type sixth-round pick that the Jets traded 
Steve McClendon, a good run suffer for a six-round pick. That's basically what you get for Dalvin Thomason. So, I mean, the Giants want to be competitive. They don't want to just throw in the towel and be completely non-competitive. So, to trade Dalvin Thomason, who's a big piece of that defense right now, for a six-round pick, doesn't make a ton of sense to me. It doesn't. And then Golden Tate, okay? Golden Tate is getting paid about $8 million this year. He has 20 catches, 26 targets, 195 yards, one touchdown, six games. So essentially he's averaging three catches, four, three-plus catches, four-plus targets a game. Not difference-making in any way, shape, or form. Substantial salary. What are you going to get for Golden Tate? Would anybody actually trade for that money? Next year, $9 million. The following year, $6 million. That's his salary. But Golden Tate is 30 on the downside of his career, 31. And I'll, I'll plug it and look it up real quick. But, uh, yeah, so how many teams are really going to trade for Golden Tate and give you something valuable? Again, maybe if he gets Golden Tate and you get a six-round pick, you do it. There's a team out there that's looking for a weapon. I think that's possible. But, I mean, for the most part, there's not going to be a huge market for Golden Tate. Possible, but unlikely. Golden Tate is, this site doesn't say his age, he is 32 years old. So actually, I undershot him. So how many people are trading for a 32-year-old Golden Tate? The separation is not there to the degree that it has been in the past. I think we know that. So if he's almost untradeable. That's why I put him in that category. Category. So uh, the dream scenario is you just you find somebody, you collect second a second-round pick for Zeitler, uh, a fourth-round pick for Tate, a third-round pick for Peppers, and all of a sudden you have a bunch of assets going into next year. You're rebuilding. You know you, these. It's not just people say, oh, you get a third-round pick, you, you a fourth-round pick. Your fourth-round pick's not going to be as good as Kevin Zeitler. We know that. But this is trade. This is draft currency you're talking about. Now, by that, I mean, let's just say you're trying to trade up to the top of the second round. You have your second-round pick. You're the middle of the second round. You can then throw in that fourth-round pick. That helps you get that dominant, really good player first, second round that you're looking for. That's why it's important to get all this stuff. Now, here's what the Giants can't do, the WTF scenario. Trade for anybody who is on an expiring contract. That'll put you in a bad spot. You're giving up assets for a player, right? And I had heard something about this last week. There was at least some conversation about the Giants talking to the Lions about wide receiver Kenny Galladay. My understanding is it did happen in some shape or form. Galladay is a good receiver. I like him as a player. I know he's been a little bit injury prone. He's really, really good. Love to have him on my team. Love to have him on the team. But he's an impending free agent. You have no bargaining power with an impending free agent who is this close to free agency. Forget the fact that the Detroit Lions aren't trading anybody right now. They're trying to win. Matt Patricia's trying to save his job. Not trading his best offensive weapon. But anyway, the Giants cannot trade for guys who are on an expiring contract. These guys are eight games for free agency. You want to get to free agency. That's where you can get the most money. So no, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Because let's say... You trade for Kenny Galladay, you give up assets, you have trouble signing him, you might have to franchise tag him, he gets a lot of money, and you're still you're in the corner because you don't have any of the bargaining power. And then you go look at the free agent market, and there's another, there's other guys out there. There's Allen Robinson, who you could sign 
maybe you don't think he's quite as good a player, still a really good player, who you could then sign, but you don't have to give up the, the draft asset for. That's the whole point. So don't let Dave Gettleman trade for anybody who's on an expiring contract. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Shouldn't even be a conversation they have ever right now with the situation this team is in. Ever. Guys who have years remaining, cheap years remaining, that's what you want. There's a rebuilding team. Guys under control. With that, on to the next one. So we move on and open the floor now. This is the time of the show where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. I think we're going to do an eight-pack here. I got JB at John B 21 says, Why are the Giants not in sell mode like the Cowboys are and trying and tying into it? Why are we letting someone who is likely to be fired after the season, DG, Dave Gettleman, Control future draft capital when he's already traded a top 100 pick for a pending, a pending free agent at a devalued position in the past. Well, obviously, the ownership thinks differently of Dave Gettleman than, than me and you do. So, uh, yeah, there's plenty of evidence that says he's probably not the guy. And I think they'll come, end up coming to that conclusion at the end of the season. But they're not there yet. So Dave Gettleman is in charge. But look. He's not the only one in charge and with input into the... I shouldn't say he's not the only one. He's the only, not the only one with input into these decisions that are being made. So Joe Judge is certainly giving his input. He's uh, a strong voice in the room. There's other people in personnel that are also giving their input. Uh, they're not just going to... And, and you know what? To be quite honest with you, this is why if you point the figure at ownership in John Mara 
in particular, it's deserved most of the time. He does, like that Leonard Williams pick uh, trade last year, that has to be approved by John Mara. So, and then why are the Giants not in sell mode? I think they are in sell now mode, but like the Cowboys. But the question is, who do the Giants have that other teams really want that you're going to get back decent assets for? And the answer at this point is probably not that many. Like we went over the guys before. There's just not a ton of guys here that say, okay, trade all of them, bring back all these assets. You get a second round pick, a third round pick, a fourth round pick, this, that, blah, 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 player here or there, who knows, whatever. They don't have all these expendable players with, you know, uh, veterans that are useful with years left on their contract. Like, their veteran is Golden Tate, who's already deteriorated. Like, Kevin Zeitler, we're talking about as the guy, his play has also deteriorated a little bit, though. So the Giants don't have those guys. They don't have, like, that Everson Griffin, a pass rusher. Like, a, a position that another team really wants... Okay, we'll, we'll take an asset for that guy. A g- really good veteran player. I mean, that's where the Giants are. They, they, their version of that is Dalvin Tomlinson, who's a run stuffer, which decreases his value even more. But plus, you don't really want – the Giants aren't in position. They don't really want to lose him right now when the return isn't great. Now, Dallas, they also have to clean out their locker room. They, they have serious problems. Something over there is not right. We could all agree on that. So they have an ulterior mode of something else in play there. So, question number two, at Will Thompson 33 any injury update on Xavier McKinney? Now, McKinney posted a video earlier this week. I believe it was him taking, getting his cast taken off. Joe Judge has said he's been progressing well. Uh, he's been doing special projects. He's involved in meetings. Now, we asked Jerome Henderson, the defensive backs coach, what that means. What's special, what the heck is special projects, right? Like, a lot of times teams have on the staff coaches that are special projects. And most of the time I, I have, you have no idea what the heck that means. But what Jerome Henderson, the defensive backs coach, kind of explained is he, he, the example he gave for, okay, a special project you might give Xavier McKinney is just say, go study the opposing quarterback for this week. See if you can find any tells, any tendencies to what he does. And then you see what he comes back with, and if there's anything useful, it's a positive the downside, there is really no downside because the worst case scenario is you have a rookie like Xavier McKinney studying a quarterback like Tom Brady and seeing some of the things that he does well. So that's what Xavier McKinney's up to these days. Now, when's he going to come back? The original comeback date, the intended comeback date, realistic comeback date, was post bye week. So I believe that is right around the end of November, beginning of December. And I still think that that is likely where we stand. So about another month or so until you're expected to see Xavier McKinney. Third question, number three, at One Giant Podcast says, does Rice and John have any chance to see snaps on the active roster? Love his size and athleticism he could potentially bring to the offense. Well, you're asking about Rice and John, who was just re-signed to the practice squad this week. He spent some time with the Giants this summer. But the Giants didn't get to see a ton of him this summer. They obviously got to see enough where they liked his potential. But you're talking about Rice and John, who's from somewhere in Canada named Simon Fraser. Okay? I believe that's a college. 
Now, when I hear Simon Fraser, I'm thinking like a BBC uh, sports sportscaster. Like, let's go to Simon Fraser. That was, by the way, was the worst British accent maybe of all time. I don't know what the heck that was. Complete embarrassment to myself. But I think you get my point. So Rice and John is like, let's just say they found a gem, a hidden gem that no one else saw. And Rice and John is a real player. The likelihood that a player like that is ready to contribute right now is basically slim to none. I mean, it's so minimal. He hasn't really played. He hasn't really practiced. He's never been in any sort of NFL game. I wouldn't expect anything from him. And, and this is really, this wasn't to pick on your question, one giant podcast. I got other questions like it, like, what can we expect from the new outside linebacker the Giants picked up and the Trent Harris who they activated off the practice squad? I mean, again, I wouldn't expect much from these guys. The guys you need to expect stuff from are the guys that were already on the roster, that were already ahead of these guys in the picking, the Cam Browns, the Carter Coughlins. Like, those are the guys that the Giants are going to need to produce something because you know they're going to get some opportunities here late in the season in regards to outside linebacker. And tight end, Evan Ingram, I'm t- trust me, Evan Ingram is better than Rice and John. Okay? His athleticism, his size, Evan Ingram is more enticing than what you're going to see from Rice and John if he ever gets on the field. Clay Davis, at Clay underscore Senator, says, doesn't it seem trading away Kevin Zeitler is a bad idea for Jones's development? Why would we even consider dealing away from the already poor offensive line? And that is an absolutely fair concern. Now, the question is, do you want to get back something in return? Because you got to give up something to get something. That's the way it works, right? You don't get something by giving up your trash. Like, you got to give up a decent player. Now, the only way the Giants do that deal and I know they do like him, Shane Lemieux, is if they think Shane Lemieux can contribute and be a decent player right now immediately. That's the only way you do it. Now, will you maybe be giving up something? Sure. But you only do that if, you're, if you don't think it's going to be a really precipitous downfall between the two players. Because if you think that Shane Lemieux is going to come in and you're, he's going to struggle and really take his rookie lumps on the interior and give up, you know, quarterback hits and pressures at regularity, you can't make that deal because you're right. You're going to get Daniel Jones killed. The development's going to, it's going to stunt his development, the growth, and you're going to be screwed. So I, I don't think you can do that if that's the case. But if they're fairly high on Shane Lemieux and think he can come in and play, which I do think might be the case here, which is why he's the most likely giant to go at this point, in my opinion. And from talking to people around the league and the team, that's the guy that they think is most likely to go. So to me, that does say something about Shane Lemieux. And they said, I, uh, Mark Colombo was asked about Lemieux today, and they were asking if he was, go, you know, too hyper and over. He, this is what Colombo said. He thought he was a little bit too hyper and overreactive early, and that he kind of s- settled down now. Shane Lemieux. So that's my opinion on that. Uh, Question number five, I believe this is at real Kyle underscore Travis says I'm unaware of judges, Joe judges background in scouting college talent. 
However, if DG gets launched to Jupiter at the end of the season, I, I think that may means uh, figuratively, not literally, do you see ownership giving the GM position to judge, or at least interviewing? And the answer to that is no. You're talking about a first-time head coach. He's not going to be the GM. But, yes, he does have some scouting background in that when he mentioned that when he was a special teams coach, his job is to evaluate all players at all talent because they're looking for specific skills. And look, he's remember, they're not exactly scouting specifically when he's talking about this. He's not scouting, okay, this offensive lineman is good at this offensive line skill. No, he was scouting athletic skills, physical traits that then could translate to things he could use with guys on the offensive line. But the more likely scenario is they launch Gettleman to Jupiter, again, figuratively, not literally, and they hire a new GM. And if they go outside the building, which at this point you kind of think they need that kind of fresh blood, and you would, it would likely be... B, a solution to that is Joe Judge could have his input and be aligned directly with a new general manager who he probably has some previous ties to. There's some guys in Tennessee. There's Nick Casario in New England. Guys like that where it's an align, alignment between the two. A logical, understandable alignment. And then Judge will have his impact on the scouting because he's not qualified to do both jobs at this point. He needs to concentrate on coaching. How much time does he have? He has enough on his plate at this point where he's not going to be the GM too. So next question, question number six, it is, says, at Robert Gerlite Jr., at RJ100674, do you think Andrew Thomas should be moved to right tackle or stay at left tackle? I don't think, and, I, and I've got, had this conversation with linemen and former offensive linemen many times over the years, the idea that somebody is not good right tackle, and then all of a sudden you put him at, I mean, not a good left tackle, and all of a sudden you put him at right tackle, where he doesn't have quite as extensive track record, and it's, he's probably less comfortable at that position, he's not automatically just going magic, you know, to be, magically be good at that position. It seems like a, a pretty foolish thought process. If you think, oh, move him to the other side, he'll be fine over there. Like, he still has to block guys. Technique is pretty much the same. You're just flipping around. The only difference is that he's not, he wouldn't be blocking the blind side. But if he's given up all these pressures, I don't know what the exact number is. It's huge, though. And in a lot of these sacks, I believe it's like seven, right? You're going to be giving up a lot of negative plays from the other side, too. So, I'm not sure that is the solution at this point. Maybe long term, he you you want to move. You think Matt Parrott's a better option at left tackle? That's fine. But just to say he'll be better at the other position doesn't make sense to me. That line of thinking just doesn't just doesn't sink in with me. Now, what I think, and and the Giants and and they said they're you know Mark Colombo talked to him interview under the press conference today, which is Wednesday, and I was asking about, you know, does he believe in benching, you know, Andrew Thomas, so many words, that, you know, sometimes it's best for a young guy to take a rest, sit, watch, take a deep breath, slow slow things down. 
And the, and what Colombo said was the Giants aren't there yet. That's not where they're, where they're at at this point with Andrew Thomas. They think he's going to be fine. They only see a few bad snaps each game. And when he does have those bad snaps, he bounces back. They say with good snaps. But let's be honest. If you watch that game Thursday night against the Eagles, he was brutal. It was problematic. He got his butt kicked. So to me, I think the best solution might be to say to Andrew Thomas, put him on the side, put him on the sideline and say, okay, we're going to try Matt, Matt Parrott here, see how it goes. I want you to regroup, take some time, uh, let it sink in, let things slow down, do some studying, try to fix some of your weaknesses, You know, his hands overshooting, his body and uh, arms not being in sync, those kind of things. I think that, to me, is the best solution for Andrew Thomas right now. But the Giants, they're not going to go in that direction. Andrew Thomas is going to be out there Monday night against the Tampa Bay Bucks. He's going to be the starting left tackle. And guess what? On the other side is going to be Tristan Wirfs, who the Giants also liked, who basically was their number two option as the tackles. Uh, He's going to be out there, and he's going to be protecting Tom Brady. Uh, He's going to be on the – I believe he plays on the right side, though. So there is a difference in that. You're right, but – It'll be interesting to see Wirfs and uh, Thomas on the same field. Final question, number eight. The Sports Influencer at the Sports Influ One says, Has Leonard Williams proved to you he is worth the money he's asking for? And my answer to that would be, what's he asking for? Like I've said many, many times, Leonard Williams is a good, not great player. He's getting paid right now. Like a great player. Seven, 16 plus million. I think it's 16-1. 17 million around. For a guy who, quite frankly, is not a 17, 16, 17 million dollar player. Okay? Uh, I looked up the numbers before this segment. Leonard Williams is 80th overall in pass rush win rate. An ESPN stat that we use, and uh, you know, 80th, and that includes defensive ends, outside line, edge rushers, and interior guys. Now, so obviously, it's not the 80th best interior guy, but it's a pedestrian number. Guys like uh, Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, Grady Jarrett, the guys who get the real big money, the interior type of guys. They're th- Jarrett's third, Donald's 11th, Chris Jones is 14th. Like, those kind of guys, in order for me to want to pay money to a guy, you have to be a top-end pass rusher. And Leonard Williams is not that. And the PFF stats also show that. Now, Leonard Williams is ranked 16th overall, PFF on interior linemen, which is good. And this is just interior linemen, which is pretty good. Not bad. You know, quality player, like I said, 16th. But his split is better run defender, 75.4 grade compared to 68.7 in regards to pass rush. His pass rush grade is 31st among interior defensive guys. Now, if I'm paying a guy, buku bucks, mega bucks, uh, you know, and paying him $16, $17 million deal, who knows, maybe it goes up this year. It's an average of $18, $19, $20 million range. There's no way I want to give Leonard Williams that. To me, he's not that kind of player. He's like a 12 to $15 million player, maybe. To me, that's probably his range. Like, there's a reason the Giants, their interior pass rush is not very good. And Leonard Williams is the best they got. 
but he's not a dominant interior rusher. Just isn't. Has he made more plays this year? Absolutely. Has he actually done much different on the pass rush? Not really. He's gotten there a second earlier. Maybe it just worked out better. Maybe the coverage has been better on the back end. Whatever it is, he's produced a little bit more. I believe he has three sacks. Uh, I think the number off the top of my head is like six or seven quarterback hits, some, some somewhere in that range. So he just made the most out of his opportunities this year. I still, I'm not paying big bucks to an interior guy unless they're a dominant pass rusher. That's where the game is. That's where the money's made. That's how you win at the end of games and why the Giants keep losing at the end of games. They don't have those pass rushers. That's not an indictment on Leonard Williams. He, like I said, good player, solid player, not great. So with that, on to the next one. All right, with that, answered all your questions. Not all of them, but a bunch. You have more, hit me up, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email. You know where to find me. I'll give you a little Giants uh, Jordan on a beat here, where a little taste of what it's like to cover the Giants, work for ESPN, cover the NFL in general. And I keep going back to this, but, you know, it's a COVID year, so everything's been crazy. And this this episode of uh, Breaking Big Blue, no different. This was not the intended plan. The intended plan was to have Ross Tucker, the Westwood One uh, analyst, radio analyst, um, podcast, master podcaster, just a you know, former NFL offensive lineman, have him on the show. He did the Giants last week. I believe he's doing them again on Monday night. Uh, he would have given us a rundown on Andrew Thomas. But we were trying to figure out a schedule. We had something set. He was getting on a flight. The flight was canceled. That ruined the timing. I had to deal with a, you know, an a, a internal COVID scare in my own house. So for that reason, we had to scrap that. Hopefully we'll get Ross Tucker on next week. And uh, we will get his insight on what he's seen from the Giants, Andrew Thomas, and uh, all, all that kind of good stuff and really where this team is big picture. Uh, nationally. So we'll get Ross on next week. And uh, I'm sitting here taping this segment of the podcast. I mean, this is so 2020. I'm sitting here in the driveway of my own house, in my car, with a ESPN microphone on a stand in my lap, in my own driveway, in front of my house. I just waved to my wife, who came back home. You know, she, she pulled up past me like, she's like, what the heck are you doing in your car? I'm just podcasting in 2020. That's, that's where we're at. Because my little man's sleeping inside. So usually, I, I've mentioned this before, I tape in the closet. Because you want to be in an enclosed space so that doesn't sound too, the, the noise doesn't bounce too much. So the next best thing I have right now, I got my daughter working downstairs, virtual school. Okay, I got my son sleeping upstairs, so I don't want to go in the closet because the closet's almost like the back of the closet wall is facing his room. So if I broadcast, if I tape something in there, it might wake him up from the nap. So instead, I'm sitting in my own driveway, in my car with the car off, by the way, wearing sweatpants, socks and slides and a hoodie with the car off in my driveway. If this isn't 
COVID environment 2020 covering the NFL and the Giants in general. I really don't know what it is. Don't know what it is. It's ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. But I'm doing the best I can. Hope I did all right. I hope you like this episode. Next week, we'll get Ross Tucker. Uh, I really want to hear what he has to say about Andrew Thomas because that is the one that really is so disappointing right now and has to bother Giants fans say, oh, my God, dude was the fourth overall pick, and he's been flat bad this year. Flat bad. No ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, there's there's no way around it. Flat bad. And if you don't want to bury him because you don't want to say that dude's done, he's a bust for, you know, seven games into the season, blah, blah, blah. But it is a discouraging sign for sure. This week, he will play the Bucks. We'll get his opportunity actually playing against Jason Pierre-Paul, which should be interesting. Pierre-Paul, uh, obviously not the player he once was, but still brings a lot of power. That bull rush, I think, is going to be something to watch with Andrew Thomas. So... Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. Or Shaq Barrett, maybe they line him up over over uh, Andrew Thomas. I don't think that's a, a matchup the Giants want very often either. So, with that being said, the Giants are playing the Bucks. I just told you, two guys on the Bucks front seven. Shaq Barrett, JPP, very good players. The Bucks have a really good defense. Their front seven in particular is really good. That's not a good matchup for the Giants. So if you think I'm picking the Giants... You're crazy. I wouldn't pick him against the Eagles last week. Think I'm picking him against Tom Brady and the Bucks on a Monday night in front of the entire nation? No. No. Just no. <laughs> that reminds me of the uh, Davis Webb evaluation I once got. Uh, you know, from somebody inside the organization pre-draft. What do you think of Davis Webb? And the answer was no. Just no. And guess what? They ended drafting Davis Webb. <laughs> Uh, sight unseen to then head coach Ben McAdoo, by the way, uh, which is wild. Wild. That's another topic altogether. Back to this Bucks game. Uh, you know, I I said obviously I'm not picking him. Final score: Tampa 29, Giants 20. Uh, actually, Giants 17. 29 to 17 because. Let's, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Bucks with the with the spread because the last I saw was Bucks eleven and a half, so I made it twelve. So twenty nine, seventeen, Bucks. Uh, Tom Brady, when he wants to, will be able to make plays on this defense. Like I said before, it was one thing to see this defense and how they played early in the season because those four, four to first four to six games backup quarterbacks, Carson Wentz playing with a bunch of jabronis last week, didn't matter. He still looked good. He still made a lot of plays, drew for 350 yards. So when this defense starts facing real offenses and real quarterbacks like the Bucks, I don't love their chances. Don't love their chances. Not enough pressure on the quarterback, not enough talent all around, especially to hold up over four quarters. They'll battle. Pat Graham has done a decent job. His unit has battled. But ultimately... They're basically playing, and this is for the whole team and defense. And they're playing with their left hand t- tied behind their back at times. They really are. So, no way I'm picking the Giants in this one. Uh, I do expect to see a lot more of Wayne Gallman this week, especially with Devonta Freeman kind of banged up. 
uh, midweek as we as we head into the later week of practice. So uh, Wayne Gallman, let's 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 see. Actually, give him an opportunity. I want to see him get an extended opportunity a little bit. I know the staff, coaching staff, wasn't high on him at first, but let's see what he could do. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan, live from my car. Not really live, but taping from my car in my driveway. See you next time.